to find a creative solution to a problem, be more in charge of your emotions. It's not going to be sit down and like, voila, that doesn't happen, right? Oh, I love it. When the body is relaxed and at rest, the brain functions better. Mind blowing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm Angela Wagner. And I'm Melissa Marks Garner. And together we're here as your hosts for a mix of happy hour style venting and results-based coaching. Spark is a judgment-free space where we'll chat about both the brilliant bits of life as well as the bits that are a little more sucky. With lightness, laughter, and the belief that there's no such thing as oversharing, we'll guide you in finding clear paths out of murky messes and toward discovering inspiration in everyday moments. This week, my guest, Melissa Marks-Garner, and I are going to nerd out on all things mindfulness. We will delve deep into what mindfulness actually is and discuss simple and free ways you can dramatically decrease stress and anxiety in your life. Welcome, Melissa. Hey, hey, Angela. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to give the listeners a little bit more from your bio. So you teach mindfulness to business professionals and athletes. And mindfulness is present moment awareness, and research has shown its many benefits from the physical to the mental to the emotional, which we'll get into. She helps her clients get that edge through mental focusing and relaxation techniques. She's a licensed professional counselor by trade and has been teaching mindfulness since 2005 and has worked with thousands of people from CEOs to professional athletes. She also is a frequent presenter at many executive meetings and conferences. Ah, so cool. So ah, what, yeah, why don't you give us a little more info on kind of what your whole company and your daily life looks like with all of that fun stuff? Mm-hmm. Sure. So yeah, the company, it's funny, it's I am in the process of rebranding the company as we speak. So the new name of the company is going to be Your Mindful Edge. So up to this point, it's just been my name and corporate wellness. And so with that shift, I am really expanding who I work with. And as you mentioned, up to this point, it's been largely business professionals, companies. And within the last year or so, I've broadened that out to working with athletes. And what I've found is that my particular interest in this world of mindfulness is really this peak performer, this person that is looking to be the best version of themselves. And really, that can be any kind of person. And you know, that can be, of course, a business professional, but an athlete as well. And in particular, the athlete interests me because these people, as you know, they are the finest physical specimens out there mm-hmm. for, for what they're doing. They're at the top of their craft, especially professional athletes. And so I find it really interesting to take that top 1% that is so physically gifted and then helping them use their minds to also be at that top 1%. So that combination of the two is, you know, potentially unstoppable. So I guess through the years, I've really 
zeroed in on the things within mindfulness that are the most fascinating to me. And I'm sure, yeah, today we'll kind of touch into all of that wonderful research and how mindfulness actually helps someone reach that highest potential. Oh, I love it. I mean, I obviously am very into this being in the yoga world for so many years. Well, my husband's a professional golfer and has been his whole Ooh. life. And so, yeah. So, it, you know, it's something that he and I have in common as far as something we talk about a lot and that, you know, applies to our everyday. So it's kind of cool mm-hmm. that you you handle or I shouldn't say handle athletes, but you work with athletes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's super fun, super interesting. And, you know, sports, just like everything, it's 100% mental. Everything we do, we're, we're connected physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even if you lean in that way, which I think you do and I do. But yeah, all of those parts coming together, I think that's really where it's at. That is, in my book at least, that's peak performance when everything is is integrated and working together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get to know a little bit about you. And this will be fun okay. with the sucky moment of the week, because <laughs> especially because we're talking about mindfulness. And I, when we got on the call today, I was just telling you, Melissa, that I had a morning and it, I just had this major reaction. And I have a cold, which you can probably hear in my voice, but I haven't been sleeping and my kids are sick. And so it was just <laughs> like, you know, the moments where I was like, okay, I can feel that I'm, you know, like reacting more aggressively than I need to right now, <laughs> you know, like. Yes, yes. And it's like, I can feel the sniffles in my nose and I can feel the, you know, congestion in my chest. And yeah, mindfulness, it's like, you know, we get to feel everything, whether that's good, bad or indifferent. And, you know, it, it really brings you directly into the present moment, which, you know, sometimes those moments are, as you say, you know, a little bit more sucky. And that's, that's part of this practice. And I think it brings up sort of an interesting point. I work a lot with new practitioners, new people to a mindfulness practice. And it's very common that people think that this practice is all about relaxation and making them feel good. And yes, that's definitely a part of it. And it often happens that you do feel more calm, more relaxed, all of that. But it's not the intended purpose or goal of a mindfulness practice. Sometimes you're going to have a practice, you know, whether it's a formal practice of sitting and being with yourself, and you're going to be confounded with a lot of, let's say, unpleasant thoughts, the mind is going to be excessively racing, or like you, you might have actual physical ailments, you might be really intimately in touch with uh, discomfort and Those aren't necessarily pleasant, but that's also part of the practice. And we're going to have to have those days and use those days as learning experiences to further our ability to simply be with what is as opposed to being with things as we would like them to be. Sometimes it's not about that, but that's what life is. And I really love that aspect of this practice. It's not always you know, lovey-dovey and kumbaya and all of that. It's, <laughs> sometimes it's just not, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of those things, we've talked about it quite a bit on the podcast where it's something that people can't see and they just sort of assume that they should be good at it. And then when they're not, quote, good at it, which no one's good at it at the beginning, you know, and, and really what is good anyway. But um, 
people just shut it down and then they go to look for destruction or whatever method that we use instead of being with a discomfort and sitting with it before we react. Yes. So anything you want to mm-hmm. add to that? Cause you're the expert in this. Well, yeah, you know, I just, I think it's important to be clear, I guess, on what the practice is and what it isn't and not having these unrealistic expectations of what it's going to be or supposed to be. And I think you bring up a really good point. It's like, you know, being able to just allow the mind to be a wandering mind, if that's what it's doing, that's usually where people start to say, I can't do it. It's they close their eyes, they sit down, they take some breaths in and out, and then boom, the mind, it's off to the races, right? And Mm -hmm. That's usually that moment where if someone hasn't had proper training or teaching, they start to think, I can't do it. But the thing to remember is that that is the nature of everybody's mind. It is going to trail off. I had a mentor teacher years ago that used the example of being a shepherd and herding sheep and just thinking about how sheep, you know, they need constant, constant care and being able to just gently push those sheep back, back into line, because they're always going to want to be trailing off, always trailing off, always bringing it back. That's the nature of the mind. And so mindfulness is the practice of bringing it back. So the moment one notices, oh my gosh, I've been lost in my thoughts. Aha, that's the moment. That's the moment of mindfulness, we bring our attention back to mostly it's the breath itself, which can anchor you back into the present. The breath is always happening in the present. So that's a good anchor. The physical mm-hmm. body, you know, you're a yoga yogi, you're right. So the mm-hmm. physical body, the physical body is always in the present, whether our minds are in the present, right? Mind can be in the past, mind can be in the future. The body's always here in the present. So the body also good place to kind of come back to. I think those are really, really important pieces of a practice is, you know, don't have unrealistic expectations. It's not going to be, you know, sit down and like, voila, you know, I'm here <laughs> of all that. I mean, like that doesn't happen, right? So it's a journey. It's a practice. But man, the benefits are so worth it. It is so worth you know, having the experience and being consistent over time with it, you'll really see how your whole life can change just from this very simple practice. Simple, yeah. it's not always easy, but this. I know. <laughs> I always say that I'm like, don't confuse simple and easy because those are very yeah. different. <laughs> yes, man. Oh my gosh. Yeah, That's it you. is so true. Well, okay, let's get into your sucky moment of the week. Here's our sucky scale, one being kind of sucky. Five being super sucky. One, two, three, seriously, four, five. So what do you rate your sucky moment as? I will go with a four. It's pretty high. Okay, so give it to us. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm slightly cheating because this was more like two weeks ago, two and a half, but I'll I'll go with it. I 
very, very, very much twisted and injured my neck while brushing my hair, which (laughs) sounds ludicrous and crazy, but I did something. I just tweaked it and it was the strangest thing. It hurt a lot, but I had a meeting to go to. So just, you know, got to that. It was hurting all through that meeting, all through the day. I went and got ibuprofen, put tiger balm on my neck, uh, tried everything I could. It, this, it was just really, really bad up till about 10 PM. This was a Saturday and I th- thought, okay, I'm going to lie down, just try to go to bed. As I was getting myself to go into bed and just trying to get down, I did something even worse to it. And then I could not even move it past, like picture yourself looking straight ahead and then now turn your head slightly to the right, about 45 degrees. I couldn't move it past that point. I couldn't get it to even go straight. It was bad. I was crying and I have a pretty... Big, yeah, I know. I was crying. I, uh, I have a pretty big pain tolerance, I think, and I, it was really bad. A friend of mine took me to urgent care. They um, gave me two different times some hydrocodone. Didn't work. Ended up giving me a morphine shot, my first ever. <laughs> and yeah, then I felt okay. But it's going to a chiropractor for the first time uh, twice. I can say I feel a lot better now, but. I couldn't do my yoga practice. I couldn't work out. I mean, I could barely function or move or sleep correctly. It was, man, just a little thing like that. You really see how it takes you kind of out of your game, but then it makes you appreciate the little things like movement, mobility. (laughs) You know, so I have to ask you, how do you possibly do that doing your hair? I don't know, girl. I I told my my brother. Well, you and I have, you know, passed that threshold of the 40 plus or 40. Mm -hmm. I I mentioned this to my brother who's older than me. And he was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So you're just getting old. Like, that's what that is. Uh, Wow. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate. But I think it was, I think it was just, I think that's what happens. This is my first time to have like an old person injury. Like, you know, I I was just doing life. You know, I I wasn't doing anything special. Yeah. Weird. Oh my God. I know. It's funny how, like, there's this comedian that I love and he does this bit and he's like, When did I start sleeping wrong? He's like, I didn't even know you could <laughs> sleep wrong, you know? And it's so funny. It's like, Yeah, as you start getting older, you're like, I never used to wake up sore from like <laughs> from sleeping, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, it's unknown to me too. It's a mystery. I'm not sure exactly how that happened, but wasn't anything out of the ordinary. It was just, I was probably going too fast. I mean, if I had to really, you know, go back and, you know, hindsight being 2020, I think here's a good mindfulness sort of tie in. You know, I wasn't just, oh, Melissa brushing her hair, you know, like all probably like, all right, brushing my hair, trying to go and get out of the house and all of that probably could have slowed down a bit. I mean, I wasn't aggressively brushing my hair, but who knows? But it definitely was just a regular routine moment, but definitely set me back. Sucky moment for sure. Number four. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to a little bit more detail on mindfulness. And I know for me is being, I always like joke that I'm not the typical yogi because I certainly was not like, you know, born enlightened and none of this stuff comes easy to me, which is why I think I'm good at teaching because I totally understand where people are coming from. 
And I still struggle with it now. But what helps me decide to do something is often science and having sort of proof (laughs) beyond, you know, especially with something like this, where it's not so tangible in the beginning. So for our listeners that kind of have that as well, can you give us a little bit of the research and maybe some of the, I don't know, any of the goodies that you have? Yeah, for sure. And I'll just also piggyback on that. I feel the same way. And I always jokingly tell people I'm a recovering type A personality Mm -hmm. because those tend to be the kinds of clients that I work with and attract. And because it is hard to do this. And I too like research and science and helping people understand it from a cognitive place is usually where I start with most people I work with. And then it becomes tangible and easy to understand. And then we're much more able to go into the experiential place, which is really where it all comes together and makes sense. So all of that being said, some of the key findings, first of all, I would say in the last few years, there's just been an explosion of research. So we're talking about thousands of peer-reviewed research journal articles written on the topic of mindfulness and all of the many health benefits, physical health benefits, ranging from helping with anxiety, depression, hypertension, pain management, better sleep, better, you know, compassion, joy, happiness, all of that. All of that's there. I mean, Google anything that you're interested in and you'll find it there. But in particular, I really love and nerd out to the neuroscience behind it. So there's something called neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability to change structurally as a result of input from the environment or input that you're giving it. So there used to be, you know, years ago, maybe when you and I were going to school or some of the listeners or or what have you, there was this notion that, you know, the brain develops and, you know, maybe early adulthood where it reached its full development. And then slowly but surely we we dwindle down into senility as we grow older. But that, that paradigm is completely outdated and it's not the case at all. So we can change the actual structure of our brains. So there's three main parts that there's been a lot of research in the brain. So one is the prefrontal cortex, and that's just right there, smack dab, the front part of your brain. And that part of the brain is responsible for all of your executive functioning. So that means better decision making, better focus, better awareness, all of those things that help us navigate our day to day and in our jobs and in any area of our lives. So that area, they have seen it increase its gray matter. So gray matter is a good thing that you want to have in your brain. So that whole area has gotten strengthened as a result of having a mindfulness practice. So they look at brain scans from experienced meditators, also even novice meditators, and they've seen an increase in the gray matter. So it, it helps in all of those areas. So that's pretty cool. Uh, the other two areas are 
the hippocampus and the hippocampus is where memory is and also emotional regulation. So better memory, you know, who doesn't want that, right? So a mindfulness practice, part of it, I mean, let me step back and say this, what a mindfulness practice is really helping us to do is shift from the sympathetic nervous system, which is the stress response, which is fight, flight, or freeze. That's the go, 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 do, 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 that kind mm-hmm. of deal. So we're shifting from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic nervous system. And so that is the rest and digest. That's the slowing Mm -hmm. down of things in our body. So when I say mindfulness is helping the brain with these things, what I'm also really saying is the parasympathetic nervous system. When the body is relaxed and at rest, the brain functions better. Okay, so again, prefrontal cortex that we talked about, memory. So they've done a ton of studies with memory. We remember better when we're taking in information in a calm, relaxed state. So I don't know about you, Angela, but that's not how I grew up studying for tests, going through school. Like I was one of those, you know, freak out, cram, like, you know, just try to get it in my brain the best I could. And that surprisingly, I guess I I made it through school, but I could (laughs) have. You know, in hindsight, we all probably could have done so much better if we knew, you know, some of these tools that, you know, actually just relax, just be calm. You're going to remember this way better if you did. So memory and then emotional regulation, i.e. not like, you know, losing it, basically (laughs) flying flying off the handle, just, you know, blurting out whatever comes to mind. So that helps integrate that purposeful pause, that ability to just be more in charge of your emotions. And then lastly, the amygdala, which is the part of the brain responsible for fear and anxiety. And that shrinks as a result of a mindfulness practice. So those are all really great areas. The last thing I'll say is there's something called the default mode network in the brain. And what they have found is that is where all of these seemingly separate and disparate parts of the brain are actually working together as an integrated brain. And that is really interesting. And that happens when the mind is relaxed. It starts working together. So for going back to sort of peak performance, creativity. If you need to find a creative solution to a problem, you are best served by stopping, not hammering ahead, go, 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 but stopping, taking that pause, relaxing yourself, and really letting go of whatever that perceived problem is. And it's then when the mind is completely relaxed and at rest, that it's more likely to be functioning in that integrated capacity and for those insights and those ahas to come. So that's what the science teaches us. That's not just me, Melissa, and (laughs) my take on it. That's the great science behind it all. Yeah, I mean, it's really, I think when people struggle, I often ask them, like, does science help you or you know, knowing facts about what this actually does. And so I'll give them an article because I'm so glad that they're doing this kind of research. I mean, the fact mm-hmm. that our gray matter, like gray matter actually increases, like that's mind blowing, you know? Isn't it so, it's so crazy, right? Yeah. It's amazing that we can 
the brain is an organ just you know we you know work out we work out our muscles like we can actually work out our brain it is mind blowing i completely agree well yeah and that's exactly what we're doing and i i love that we have that ability so what do you say I'd love to ask people this because I think this is every meditation teacher's challenge is like when people are struggling and they just don't have the willingness, you know, I mean, do you just, what do you say to them? Well, the willingness in the sense to have a practice, is that what you mean? Like they, to, they're struggling to actually have a practice, like they're intermittent or they're, they're not really practicing. Is that, is that what you mean? Yes, because that's what I find with my clients and myself, which is the biggest struggle, which is just, and one of my meditation teachers said to me, like, that's all you need. All you need to meditate is willingness, you know? Mm. And I'm like, that's pretty awesome, right? But it's like our brain almost doesn't want us to do it. It's crazy, right? So yeah. what, how do you combat that? Well, two couple ways. One, I I kind of let it be as it is. So I can encourage uh, clients to have a consistent practice, but at the end of the day, if they're really not, I have to sort of just be with that. And I have a range clients that some consistently practice every day. Some I have a feeling only really practice when <laughs> when we're actually meeting together, and that's okay. I think that when the time is right, the practice will show up for you. And we have to allow ourselves and the people around us to be exactly where they are in the journey and in the practice. So that's part of it. I think also another aspect that can be helpful, and this is kind of a larger thing, but I think it ties in really well to a practice, is helping somebody discover their why, mm -hmm. the why behind the what, you know, why we're doing what we're doing. And I was recently told about an exercise of finding your why, and it went behind just your whatever's important to you. Okay, write that down. And then why is it important to you? But then it asked you to ask yourself why seven times. So it's like, okay, hmm. something's important to me. Okay, why? Write that down. Okay, well, then ask yourself why that's important to you. And then whatever answer you get there, hmm. okay. Why is that important to you? And you do it seven times. And man, it takes you on this different journey to a real heart-centered place for most people. They're usually their top answer and their last answer, the seventh why, are completely different. And I think that can be a useful tool to help someone understand why we're even here. You know, at the end of the day, this is the practice should be about helping you live your best life and to help you get that clarity. So part of, I think, my role as a coach or, or whatever you, you know, want to call it is helping people discover that why. And then I think the practice can just come out of that, you know, like it shouldn't have to be a big chore. The best part is when this practice of mindfulness is something you look forward to doing right? It shouldn't have to feel like an extra thing you're doing. I look forward to my practice. I love it. If I didn't have it, man, it would suck. You know, I, I wouldn't be the same person. So I think eventually that's really what it should come down to is just something that you enjoy doing. And it can be one minute. It doesn't have to be 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be a long period of time for people. So I think easing into it, helping people figure out their why and being patient 
with yourself and with others are all important pieces to that question. I love the seven layers deep. I've done it a couple of times. I've never done seven layers deep. That's that's mm. going to be powerful. Yeah, it has been. I've I've had the great pleasure of doing that exercise just for myself. And that was enlightening for me or illuminating. And then I've done it with clients. And it's weird. I've done it. I'm working with some kids right now that are little athlete clients. And so my youngest client is 12. And I did it with him. And it was really interesting to do that. And then I've done it with adults. And, you know, I had an experience for the first time with a client that I've probably been working with for about a year. And it actually brought her to tears. And Aww. that was pretty powerful. So it's interesting. So, so yeah, for those of you willing to take that journey, go for it. It might bring up some interesting and the crying was good. I mean, it was a cathartic realization for her. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> um, what else do you want to share with the listeners? Like anything specific to maybe how I know there's so many different types of meditation. We generally talk about a basic mindfulness. We mm-hmm. do like no music and just kind of being, being, but do you, do you do specific types of meditations or? Yeah, that's basically what I teach and what I practice. I do integrate a little bit of other aspects of meditation. Repetition of a word or a phrase can mm-hmm. be helpful. Anything that can help the mind stay in the present moment. And I try to integrate as many of those, like just try to think of them as tools in your tool belt. So of course, the breath, you know, paying attention to the breath, that's your typical sort of mindfulness practice. Also, listening is good, just listening to the sounds in the room, letting them come, letting them go. That can be a a really good practice. And it helps to as I like to think of the sounds that come in and out as a metaphor for our thoughts, because they're going to be sometimes sounds that are unpleasant or some that can perhaps feel like they're a disturbance for students. I mean, I've had people say, oh, I can't stand that clock ticking. Is there any <laughs> way you can take seriously? I had this one lady who we were in the same room every time for the meditation group I was running at the time. And she was, I mean, really serious about this. She really wanted me to remove the clock and, you know, get up on a ladder and get it and take it down and put it in another room because it was so disturbing to her. I mean, everyone else was fine and it could tune it out. But for some reason, it just she focused on it so much. So we just used that as a, I try to use that rather as a teachable moment. I said, you know, that clock is going to be your greatest teacher if you can learn to be with it because no moment is going to be pristine for us in life. And if we're always waiting for the conditions to be just right for us Mm -hmm. to then feel calm and okay, no, I'm sorry, that's not life. That's not the way it works. So if you can work with this clock and allow it to be what it is, this is going to be the best thing for your practice. And eventually, you know, I do think it's softened for her. I don't know if she completely fell in love with the clock, but I know that <laughs> she, yeah. she took a journey with the clock and that was good. But yeah, I just, I'm not even sure what, what where I was actually going to go with that. But I think that, you know, yeah, sounds are good. 
anything like that, a word or a phrase to kind of keep you in the moment, those are all great tools to use. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, it's funny. I um, We used to have a dog next door that would bark all the time. And one of my meditation books would talk about meditating on sounds that annoy you for that exact reason. <laughs> and it was like... <laughs> It was so hard, but I'd always think back. But it's true because that's, it's like if we, we wouldn't need the mindfulness work if we didn't have reactions to things in life, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like that mm-hmm. is the work, right? Like the clock, exactly. the dog, the, yeah. Yeah. That's always been a struggle for me, or at least it used to be more so in the yoga studio because I wanted this like perfectly silent environment. We don't practice with music, mm-hmm. which is pretty unusual in Dallas, especially for power yoga. And, you know, we've had, all kinds of stuff. We had our roof replaced like over two months of, oh my God, it was insane. Um, We had a gym being built. Then we had the, we still have sometimes the gym rats like dropping their weights. And (laughs) I'm always tempted to just turn on the music and I never do. And then it's such a great, like you said, teachable moment. And I train my teachers and myself to like teach to the class about how this is such a great opportunity for us to stay in the yoga and the flow because this is just like life, you know? I mean, yeah, yeah, I love that. And it's reminding me of something not all that long ago. I was reminded of a book that literally has been on my must read list for 20 years, honestly. And I've never read this book, but I've heard about this book. This book gets quoted to me all the time throughout, you know, every few years. It kind of comes back on my radar and then. I never read it, but it's like I made the dedication very recently that I'm going to get this book and it'll be the new book that I start reading. And it's Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And I don't know if you've read it, but it's he was in a concentration camp. And I mean, this is the extreme of what you and I are talking about right now. But his whole mission was that I mean, he was in the most atrocious of conditions, obviously, a concentration camp, Auschwitz, people are starving to death, being killed, his family, all of that is being tortured. But he found that they couldn't take one thing from him, Mm. which was his mind, which was his power to choose his response to what was Mm. happening around him. So... I mean, this is total first world problems. We're like the clock in the room. Okay. I know, right? (laughs) Poor us. Poor us. But okay, look, we're working with what we're working with. But that to me, his message, and like I said, this has like been on my radar for forever. And it's like, I'm going to read this this freaking book because that's it. I mean, if he can do that in those conditions, what a powerful example for us, right? In our everyday life. Yeah. It's so true. Oh, man, that's such a such an amazing lesson. Oh, well, thank you for sharing all your stuff. It's been close to five years since I went through Angela's Spark program. At the time, I knew I wanted a shift in my life, but I didn't have a vision for what that meant or how to go about creating change. So Spark Program was pivotal in in defining what I didn't want in order to make space for what I did. Now that I'm five years out, things came in the right time and step by step, there were probably milestones that I was aware of um, and there's probably a lot of milestones that I wasn't. 
but one of the early stage milestones definitely was Angela's Spark program. It was foundational to where I am today. Do you want to give our listeners a little try this? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So I like this one for better sleep. And some people struggle with sleep. And even if you don't struggle with it, I think it's a a really nice way to send yourself into sleep. So for a lot of people, you're in bed and a lot of times people are thinking about the next day. They're thinking about work. They're thinking about their to-do list and, you know, maybe running through the day, what they didn't get done, what they did, what they need to do, all of that. So the mind can be racing a lot. And people that report a disturbed sleep usually are, are kind of in that place right before bed. So what I like to do and share with clients is have the last thought of your conscious mind right before bed be so pleasant and so beautiful. Go to whatever that little happy place is for you. So maybe you took a vacation at a beach once and it felt so great to be on the beach. Go there. Now, whatever that place is, that's just really, really nice, relaxing, peaceful have that be your very conscious last thought before bed. And for most people that have sort of reported back to me how that went, they had a much better sleep, a more full sleep and uninterrupted sleep. So I like that as something to add to your practice. And certainly before you do that, if you wanted to do a body scan and just you know, slow the breathing down and, you know, connect to that happy place. That's even better. Oh, I love that. That's really beautiful. I'm running a program at the studio right now called Project Life. And um, one of the things we're talking about is the importance of sleep. And so one of their piece, I renamed homework inspired action because I, Ah, (laughs) (laughs) we all have this negative sort of, or I shouldn't say we all, but a lot of people have a negative um, relationship and They go back to their little kid state of, you know, million books in the backpack. But one of the things we talked about was creating a bedtime ritual. And as a parent of little kids, it's something that I've noticed when they talk. Have you read Ariana Huffington's book? It's about sleep. I can't remember what it's called. No, I have not. We talked about it in one of the first, um, like back in January. So it's been a while. I'll put it in the show notes. But she talked about her experience and she had this like really wake up moment. She... I forgot what happened. It's been a while since I read it. I don't know if she got into an accident or she fell, but she was so exhausted that like she realized how awful it was. And so she completely changed her life and her whole perspective on sleep. But she talks about how as adults, we don't have a bedtime ritual. And especially now with our phones, it's like we get in our bed and it's like, and then the first thing we do when we wake up is our phone. And so she gives these kind of 12 ideas of things you can do. So everyone pick two or three and they're going to create a little ritual, which is nice. I think, you know, something we like my kids look forward to their ritual. They love the stories and they love the back scratch and the, you know, like. Yes. yes, Yeah. I think it's so important to have those consistent practices. And you, were, you made me think of something. Have you heard of the app called Moment? I haven't. 
Yeah. And I can't use it because I don't have an iPhone. I have an Android and I think it's just for iPhone. But what it does is it tracks your cell phone usage. So it literally will track oh. every, I'll, I'll, yeah. Yeah. So some people might not want to know all of that, but um, yeah. What's it, it called? Moment. Moment. Yeah. Moment. Yeah. And I think it was, I think the story I heard was the guy that developed it, he and his wife, I think they're, you know, live in California, San Francisco. And you no, know, they were having dinner sitting across from each other and they were both on their phones, a young married couple. And they were like, you know what? This is stupid. This is really dumb. Why are we on our phones? Like we're addicted to these stupid things. And, you know, the guy, because of his background and training, was like, I'm going to do this app. I'm going to make this app. And so it literally tracks all of your screen time. It will tell you how many minutes, hours you were actually talking on the phone, how many texts, how many apps you use, how many times you literally picked up the phone. Because you know how, you know, we get an alert, we pick it up, we pick it up. And it that actually, they've done research on, again, with the brain stuff that our addiction to phones mimics that of drugs. I mean, it has, it fires the same way with dopamine. It's like the pleasure and reward, you know, responses in the brain are, are completely the same. So it's just an interesting app. If you're, again, a scientist, if you're curious to see and to track how much time you're spending on the phone, Moment is the app. Ooh, I'm kind of scared, but uh, yeah, we'll, put, <laughs> we'll have Sarah put it in the show notes. So Sarah, she does all the writing for us. And she actually did an article. We were talking about screen time in one of the podcasts and she tracked her own. She's going to love this because she tracked her usage every time she went to go touch her phone, anything. And she like timed it out and like did a whole blog post. It was hilarious, oh, but awesome. also scary. <laughs> yeah, very. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, bedtime, if you can like get away from that dang phone for, you know, 30 minutes at least or an hour even better. Yeah. Say that that is all very, very good for you. So well, it truly so. is what you said. It's an addiction. There's no question. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. This has been so enlightening and good luck with all of everything that you're doing. So how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, thanks, Angela. So I don't know when this is going to post. So I'm going to give you two websites, the current website and then the new website. So right now, my website is my name. So it's www.melissamarks.com. Garner. So that's M-A-R-K-S-G-A-R-N-E-R.com. The new website will be called YourMindfulEdge.com. And then once you're there, you'll, you know, see all the social media and all that fun stuff. So yeah, that'd be, that would be the best way to find me. I love it. Yeah. And maybe it's something that, especially if you're in Dallas, I think it's, I love that you work with businesses. I think it'd be so awesome for for people to integrate that more into their wellness program. So any of our listeners that are, you know, that are out there and if you're involved with any of that kind of stuff in your company, maybe it's something to consider adding to the offerings that they have for their employees. Thank you for actually saying that because you actually remind me of two things I would love to tell your listeners. I am also a teacher at a mindfulness studio here in Dallas called Mastermind. So their website is mastermindmeditate.com. So I would love to have uh, folks come out, check out a class. It's $10 only for your first class. So pretty reasonable to pop in and check it out. And then as part of Mastermind's uh, offerings, I am going to be starting to do some 
free mindfulness sessions at Clyde Warren Park. So you know how they do the yoga out there and and different free offerings at Clyde Warren? Well, they're going to start doing that now with mindfulness. So I'm going to really fortunate to be asked to do that. And that's going to be Thursdays during lunch and Sundays, I think at around 11, 1120 or something like that. Maybe stay tuned for more on that. It's about to kick off. So I'm not 100% sure on the times, but that's free. And if you're in that area, if you work downtown Dallas, definitely please come check that out. That'd be great to see people there. Oh, it's so awesome. Yes. Well, we will post all of that in the show notes and we'll get our connect our listeners rather connected to you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been fun talking to you. I appreciate you and what you do and putting this out there for people, your, your podcast, you've talked to some really interesting people. So I appreciate you inviting me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yep. Next week on the Spark Podcast. So it's not just what you're taking in. It's about the kind of calories. Yeah, if you're needing a fecal transplant, ask for Donor B. His poop is the best. (laughs) This is going to be a fun one. (laughs) Help people by knowing them and finding ways for them to heal and get well, not treating their symptoms with pills. I feel empowered. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Spark. If you have a few extra minutes, please do an act of kindness and leave us a review on iTunes and share this episode with your friends. It really helps us out to spread the word. You can find the show notes and blog posts at AngelaWagnerCoaching.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Coach A. Wags. Remember this week to take the time to give thanks, raise a glass, and discover what it is that sparks you. 